So when Queen Elizabeth died and Prince Charles became King Charles, the British Treasury had to go about the task of creating new currency. I don't know if you've heard about this, uh, with the image of King Charles, right? So uh, apparently there is a part of his ear that looks like a bird. So when his head was cast onto the coin, the bird seems apparently even more pronounced than it is if you're just looking at him. And once you see the bird, it's impossible to unsee the bird, right? I mean, once you see it, you can't unsee it. I'm sure we've, we've had all kinds of experiences like this um, or all kinds of things that fall into this category. Maybe it's some scandalous shapes or words or figures in the clouds of a Disney movie or uh, maybe it's something even as um, intentional as like the arrow in the FedEx logo or the ram in the mountain on the logo of a Toblerone bar, right? Like there's some things once you see it, you just can't unsee it. And so sometimes it's intentional, many times it's not intentional. And this is often what happens when we come to the Bible especially when it comes to seeing the image of fire. Because what do you think about when you think of fire in the Bible or in Christianity? Because for quite some time, even though the concept of hell is not a central part of the biblical story, I'm going to say that again, even though hell is not a central part of the biblical story, it has become the centerpiece of a fear-based Christianity intent on scaring people into faith or into right behavior. So, in John chapter 15, Jesus uses the metaphor about vineyards, where the primary message is about remaining connected to Jesus as a source of life and love. Just like a branch needs to remain connected to the vine in order to be alive, Unfortunately, when Jesus is talking about this metaphor and the common practice of pruning and taking care of vineyards, he includes burning the dead branches at the end of the harvest, right? So a lot of people reading this can only see the idea of people going to hell. Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. But today, we're going to do our best to unsee what we've projected onto this story and onto Jesus. So, John chapter 15, uh, 1 through through 6. So I I start the week with like John 15, and then, you know, according to this metaphor, I slowly prune away verses (laughs) so that I have less to read. And even after the bulletin is printed on Friday, I still do some more pruning. So we're not uh, all 12 verses, just 1 through 6. So Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed or pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, 
You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me or abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And then skipping down to verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, again, looking at the whole metaphor, the point that Jesus is trying to make is he's trying to encourage us to remain connected to him as our source of life and love. And we know from the last two weeks that God's presence is found not just in those uniquely holy places like temples or churches, but anywhere people are welcomed in and gathered together. That's, that's the images that Jesus has been using with other metaphors the last few weeks. Anywhere people gather together, remain connected to one another then, trusting that there is where you'll be connected to Jesus. Remain connected to those relationships that are life-giving and healthy. A branch, he says, cannot bear fruit by itself. There is no such thing as a self-made person. I know that doesn't fit well into our American mythology, where we are the makers of our own destiny, where we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, right? Whatever, whatever that means. Instead, what is true in the Bible and what is true in most Eastern cultures and many other cultures beside our own is that we are interdependent. We need one another. We can't just do things by ourselves. So at Christmas time, Maya and I bought for each other one of those DNA ancestry kits. If, I don't know how many of you have ever, ever done one of those things to show you sort of your ancestral heritage. And um, I'm sure to the great relief of my Swedish mother-in-law, I discovered that I am 6% Scandinavian. <laughs> so like, she didn't lose her daughter to a non-Viking or something like that. Um, but it also mentioned something really interesting that most people have some variants of DNA that trace to Neanderthals. And apparently I have like 77% more Neanderthal DNA than, than other customers of this particular brand. Um, and, and that, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but I've also been reading this book called Sapiens by uh, Yuval Noah Harari um, about sort of the history of humanity because, and, and this is super helpful having, having read that because um, contrary to our, our conceptions of cavemen is like really dumb, uh, he writes that Neanderthals were in many ways smarter faster and stronger than us, than as, as sapiens. So the question comes up, how is it that then that humanity has conquered the world instead of Neanderthals if they are smarter, faster, and stronger? Like, in fact, how is it that we've dominated the animal kingdom when, as, as far as predators are, are concerned, we're usually like smaller and weaker and slower 
than every other predator that we would encounter. So how is it that we have survived and others like the Neanderthals have not? So this is what he says, what uh, Yuval Noah Harari says in his book. Sapiens can cooperate in extremely flexible ways with countless numbers of strangers. That's why sapiens rule the world. Think about this. Think about this in our country and our world, which is becoming increasingly divided and exclusive. Think about this as we hear these bizarre conversations about a national divorce, or as we incarcerate asylum seekers, essentially, at the border as they're coming looking for help. Think about this as we listen to Vladimir Putin this week say that war with Ukraine was necessary because priests in the West are encouraging same-sex marriage. Fear of others will destroy us more effectively than the fires of hell. Fear of others will destroy us. Xenophobia comes from two Greek words. Phobos, fear, and xeno, stranger. Fear of those who are different than us, right? The biblical word for hospitality that we've been talking about the last two weeks is xenophilia. Philia, like Philadelphia, means love. Love of the stranger. Love for those who are different than us. Xenophobia disconnects us from one another and consequently from God. Love connects us and helps us not only to survive, but to thrive. So this isn't a story about heaven and hell after we die. Most of Jesus' conversations have very little to do about what happens after we die, but about what happens in the here and now, what happens with our encounters with people who are standing right in front of us. This is a story of love or hate in the here and now. This is a story of life before death, or it's a story of death before death. Life before death comes as we remain connected to God and to one another in love. That's what this metaphor of the branches and the vines is all about. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. We have to remain connected to one another. Love and hospitality is how we remain connected to God and to Jesus, the source of love and life for us in our world. But you might say, isn't, isn't God cutting off branches at the beginning of this metaphor? John 15, 2 says it clearly in, in English. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. See? Why should we care about people who are unhoused or the refugee or the poor when they aren't productive? Like, they aren't economically valuable to us, are they? Even God gives his attention in this metaphor to the most productive, the fruitful branches, right? 
But again, once we see judgment or once we see punishment in our faith story, it's really hard to unsee it. This is just as true for the smart people who translate our Bible from Greek or Hebrew into English. Because they had more options than the word remove. They had a few options, actually, in Greek that they translated as remove or cut off. It could mean that. It could mean remove. But other options for that same word could also be lift up or carry. So Jesus is using a metaphor about growing vines, about a vineyard, which in his time and place, the practices of growing vines included pruning the fruitful branches so that they would be healthier and would produce more fruit. That's clear. But the younger, unfruitful branches would be not cut off, but actually lifted up onto the line or onto the trellis. This would give those unfruitful branches more space and more time to grow as much as they possibly could in the hope that next season, those would be the branches that would be fruitful. So based on the context, words really only mean something in context, in relationship with other words and, um, and how they're used, right? Just like, like people. So based on the context, it seems like God isn't cutting off the unfruitful branches, but giving special attention and care to both the fruitful and the unfruitful branches, but, but in different ways. For those who are producing, God is attending to them so that they're healthy. Sometimes being productive isn't an entirely healthy thing in our culture. So God is at work attending to those who are fruitful so that we're healthier. For those of us or those who are sort of aren't carrying our weight or aren't being productive, what this metaphor tells us is that God is actually lifting them up and carrying them through that moment or that season. This is a part of our interdependence because even for those of us who are very productive, however we might define that, there will always come a day, there will always be moments when we need help too. When we can't do what we once did, when we can't do what we think we should be able to do. And on those days, God will be there to cut you off from his love and from community. Do you, do you hear how terrible that sounds? Like, it actually sounds really terrible when you say it out loud. And the thing is, is that people who aren't used to this story, people outside of our faith tradition, they hear it as terrible and crazy when we talk about God cutting people off because of their lack of fruitfulness. But, but that's not what the story is saying. It's not as terrible as we might imagine. On the days that we can't do it, God, through our connected community, will be there lifting us up. God will be there through our connected community to carry us on those days when we can't do what we think we need to do. So there are days when, when I have a hard time believing. But on those days, as a part of a connected community, I can lean against all of you who on those days continue to believe. 
And then there are days perhaps when you might struggle with some of whatever this faith journey for you is about. You might struggle to pray. There might be entire seasons when you're not sure how to connect with God or talk to God. But in those moments, you can lean on me when I'm able to pray. You can lean on other people in our community who are able to pray in those moments. We need one another. God is present with us primarily through our connected community, caring for us and lifting us up. So, just to be clear, as Jesus uses this metaphor, knowing that people have a really hard time understanding what he's saying most of the time, Jesus says twice, this is my command. Like command, like this is not my suggestion. This is my command. This is what this is all about. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he repeats it at the end. This is my command. Love one another. Hopefully, once we see the love, we'll have a harder time unseeing that. Let's pray. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to remain connected to you as our source of life and love. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to love one another and remain connected to one another. Amen.